Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, bringing you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you who are looking to connect where your passion meets the world's deep need. Today on the podcast, we kick off our centennial celebration with a conversation with Dr. Ron Smith, president of the Francis Asbury Society in Wilmore, Kentucky. Dr. Smith has a long-time relationship with the Francis Asbury Society, first serving as a fellow with the Society and as an evangelist with the Francis Asbury Society. He has desired to live his whole life being wholly devoted to God. He holds a special burden for mentoring students in higher education, and he and his family have hosted weekly meetings for spiritual growth and study with college and seminary students for many years. In addition, he has written many articles for many denominational and missional publications and has a special interest in producing substantive theological literature for the church today. In today's conversation, you guys are in for a real treat. We get to know Dr. Smith a little bit more and talk about his dissertation, which is being published as a book called Henry Clay Morrison, Remembering the Old Paths. Ever the storyteller, Dr. Smith gives us a little snapshot of the life and legacy of Asbury Seminary's founder, Dr. Henry Clay Morrison. Let's listen. Well, Dr. Smith, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I know you are you already were a busy guy as president of the Francis Asbury Society, but now you're also interim president of Ohio Christian University. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Well, it's a joy, and I've been looking forward to it. We love the work that our, our brothers and sisters at Asbury Theological do every day. It's one of the great streams of witness into our world. And so it makes it a special joy to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So happy to have you. I've been looking forward to this as well. I read your, one of the things we're going to talk about today is your dissertation on H.C. Morrison, who is the seminary's founder. So I feel like, you know, we're even more connected um, and just have really been looking forward to getting to know you a little bit as well. Well, good. Thank you. And, uh, I'll do my best just to share some of the thoughts that we've been thinking and the ministry that we've been doing, and thanks be to God. Yeah. So just to get us started, how did you experience your call to ministry? I was at Asbury University, then called Asbury College, and it was the mid-1970s. I I enrolled at Asbury College in 1973. As a new Christian, with the influence of my pastor, and he he was an Asburyan, and he was an Asburyan in the fifties when they had a real outpouring of God's Spirit on the student body in a time of revival, and so there was always a sacred aura about his words when he thought about it because you could see he was looking inward and seeing a great time of revival in Hughes Auditorium. And that meant something to me. I believe that I could see in his face, the face of God as he moved. And I wanted, I wanted more about that and uh, more of that. And substantively, I, I thought, 
it would be wonderful to have more of God if there is such a thing. And I enrolled at Asbury. And so uh, I didn't have a very inauspicious beginning, though. It took me a little while to come from southern New Jersey, non-Christian culture, to the Wilmore Asbury College culture. And uh, I'm glad I made it through. Jesus was a bridge. (laughs) (laughs) And by my junior year at, at college at Asbury, um, I was elected class chaplain, but it was some of that, of uh, that approval of students saying, Ron, share your faith in our midst and help us in our faith that enabled me to hear that uh, maybe through the body of Christ, Christ was calling me to to lean in like this. And I prayed about it. And the beautiful thing about Wilmore is many, many wonderful people. In particular, Dr. Dennis Kinlaw made himself available to talk, and he he was a loving mentor for me for years and years and years. And uh, when you have a talking partner like Dr. Kinlaw, who Billy Graham said was the greatest Methodist mind of the 20th century, you you it, it's like a thunderstorm. I'm just getting saturated. I'd ask him a question, and I found that he was unable to. He enabled me to enlarge my coasts, just like the Jabez prayer. He just, he took my mind and broadened the parameters of my thought life. And in the midst of it, I found Christ compellingly saying, Ron, if you'll follow, we'll we'll walk together for the redemption of the world. And that was a sacred invitation to me. I said, yes, Lord, I'll follow. And out of all the years of my ministry, I just finished my 45th year as an ordained uh, man. Um, in all of those years, difficulties, though there, there have been many, I never felt like I wanted to do something else other than walk with Christ for the redemption of the world. It is a joy. And I'm a happy camper in the middle of a profession called the ministry. <laughs> What did that journey of walking with the Lord look like for you? Because you're now president of Francis Asbury Society, but that wasn't the first step for you. Like, how did your ministry get started and, you know, kind of where, what was the path that it took you to, to get to the point you're at now? Yeah. Okay. Um, Well, in 1980, uh, this was, well, let, let me digress just a minute. I graduated from Asbury with a Bible degree, and I also minored. I think I only lacked one course in having a second uh, major in speech. Um, I took a year off because I was involved in youth ministry, and I was commuting weekend after weekend to my appointment, which was a couple hours away. And I took a year between college and seminary, just to work full-time in that youth ministry because it was escalating. We started with a youth group of about 29, and it went way up over 100. It was just just a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. And I lived into that. And in the middle of that time, I was in a United Methodist Church that had about 700 people. The pastor had a very tragic auto accident. And he was debilitated 
for about six months. Oh, no. And even though I was there as the youth pastor, the district superintendent asked if I would be willing to start preaching on Sunday mornings for our morning services. And so I knew the group well, and they were so supportive. And I began, I began a Sunday morning preaching ministry there uh, during that time. And then I came back in 1979 to Asbury Seminary because I learned having to preach from 1978 to 79. I had a lot of learning. (laughs) I came as a very eager uh, student to Asbury Seminary in 1979. Well, by 1980, I met my, my wife and began a courtship for two years. So in, in 1982, I married a girl from the college that was in my brother Doug's class. He was at Asbury College while I was at Asbury Seminary. And that's been great. She's been my bride of 40 years. She never moved. She's from South Shore, Kentucky. Her name is Dorena Lynn Ritzler from the class of 82 at Asbury. She just had her 40th year reunion and I had my 45th year reunion. Oh, wow. And it was, it was a joy, even though we both got COVID. Oh no. After, after that time. But anyway, Doreen has been a bride and I feel so bad because she had never moved. Now being a Methodist pastor and (laughs) in and academic and mission uh, CEO, we've moved 10 times in various places. And so, yes, Ohio Christian University is number 10. Oh, wow. Yeah. Even though I'm commuting back and forth to our little farm in Kentucky, uh, we we don't know what the future holds, but uh, we're leaning hard into this year as an interim, and I I still am very active with our society, of course. Mm-hmm. And we're just taking it one semester at a time, but the Church uh-huh. of Christ and Christian Union are helping the Francis Asbury Society and World Mission, so it's a very wonderful arrangement. Yeah, it sounds like a good good partnership Yeah, there. So you mentioned your calling that you experienced at the university or college. It was college when I was there too, but the university now. How do you, has your um, view of calling changed over the years, expanded? You know, what does it, what, how do you define calling? Okay. The foundations of my call have been marvelously built upon for further and further acclamation. My call began to come when people from the body of Christ recognized certain gifts and graces that they enjoyed learning from the teaching or or speaking of the word or testifying in my life. And uh, I felt like they were saying to me, we think it would be a great idea if your life was set apart to do just that. And so I began to think for the first time about ministry as vocation by the external witness in the body of Christ. 
but they turned me internally to a witness where I began to have a, an inner dialogue with God. And I felt God was, in fact, saying to me, Ron, the people in my body I'm using to help direct you into a life of ministry to which I'm calling and equipping you. And then, of course, the whole Asbury experience was equipping me. There's no question that my spiritual life was formed at Asbury College and Asbury Theological Seminary. Mm-hmm. Because you would have been there during the time of the revival at the college, is that right? The senior class, when I was there in 1973 as a freshman, had been through the 1970 revival. Okay. I could could see in their lives the impact of that revival. And I could see in the lives, the very faces of our faculty when they spoke about the revival, that they'd been with God in an incredible way. Yeah. So you kind of got some of the fallout from that. Yeah. I caught some of the thunder showers of the gospel rain that saturated them at that time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So you pastored as a United Methodist pastor for several years. How did you then go on to become president of the Francis Asbury Society? Okay. Uh, I mean, it's a wonderful question. I was happily engaged in local church ministry in the Greater New Jersey Annual Conference. My wife and I loved the pastoral ministry. And I had a desire, though, in the midst of that ministry to continue to read and study uh, substantive thoughts. So I had something to invest in the lives of the hungry people that were coming to hear the Word of God. and. I I enrolled in Princeton Theological Seminary to take a master's degree in intellectual history in the history of Christian thought. And when I enrolled there, I began to have a dialogue with Dr. Kinlaw uh, because he was coming frequently to the Southern New Jersey Annual Conference. Now, one reason why Southern New Jersey was so open to the Asbury movement is the third president of Asbury Theological Seminary, Dr. Frank Bateman Stanger, was from Southern New Jersey. Oh, really? And so our New Jersey conference was saturated with the best he could uh, put forward from the Asbury movement in God's world. And there was a there was a real connection. And also, Dennis Kinlaw had studied at Princeton Theological Seminary. And so we began having some substantive talks. And then Dr. Kinlaw said, well, Ron, while you're, while you're going forward, why don't you move to Wilmore? Because you're going to have to write a dissertation. You're going to have to take comprehensive exams. Why don't you come and join the Francis Asbury Society? And you will be the first Francis Asbury Fellow. And we'll set you apart. And we'll lean into you to help you uh, so that we can be the village that supports you while you're in this this level of study. And that captured my heart. And I, I recognized one thing. Our church was growing so much that it would have been unfair to the church if I had remained as pastor in the, in the labor-intensive parts of my studies. 
And so I handed the reins over to very capable leadership and I stepped out on a conference approved sabbatical, I guess, or an educational appointment. And that's how I moved to Wilmore, Kentucky as a fellow for the Francis Asbury. <laughs> and I brought my wife and my little girls. They were three years old and two years old when we moved back to Wilmore. Oh, on, my. On Maxie Street. Oh, and, yeah. 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 So I lived right next to a great the seminary professor of yours, Dr. David Bauer. Yes. And right across the street was a longtime music leader at the college, Dr. Jack Rains. And then three houses up was Dr. Bill Gould. Oh, and wow. Dr. Thelma Gould. And so they were all neighbors that helped me raise my little daughters in a a block full of Christians that just loved on my children. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's a wonderful environment. And then you had like the personal environment and then the academic environment. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's yes. wonderful. So then you just grew from a fellow to into like what you are. It, 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 yes, that, that's kind of so. I, I uh, began doing the work and kind of unexpectedly, they began to ask me to participate in revivals. And then I was asked to preach a revival at Asbury College, the fall revival, mm -hmm. three of us. Prof. Roy Lauder from the college, who's a tremendous revivalist, as you know, Dr. John Oswalt, and I myself, and Dr. David Geiertz, and four of us team preached the Asbury College revival in the fall. And I'd like to say thank you to Dr. David Geiertsen for, uh, for taking a risk on a young man and opening up a pulpit to me. That's, uh, always been a sweet, a sweet, uh, affection I have that he would open a door like that and, and welcome me as a colleague. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So you alluded to your dissertation with Princeton, and that's one of the reasons that you moved back here. That's also one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today. So you wrote your dissertation about H.C. Morrison. Yes. But what? I, I shifted oh. years from Princeton. Oh, okay. Drew where Dr. Tom Odin was. Oh, okay. So that's where you wrote. Yes. And, okay. And Dr. Odin, in my opinion, probably wrote the best the best Wesleyan systematic theology trilogy in the 20th century. I know that's a big statement, but I think I can defend that. And and other other wonderful scholars like Dr. Leroy Lindsay who spent his time in Mexico with OMS and WGM missionaries, and Dr. Chris Bounds, who was at Asbury College. He's an Asbury Seminary graduate as well, is the chair of the Division of Philosophy and Religion at Indiana Wesleyan University, was a classmate. Dr. Neil Anderson, longtime professor at Asbury College, was a classmate. And so, we had lots of Asburyans at Drew studying with Dr. Odin. And Dr. Kinlaw, as my mentor, made me first wonder why there hadn't been more written academically on Morrison. And 
Dr. Kinlaw shared with me a, a powerful story at some point in our podcast. I'll share that with you. But Henry Clay Morrison helped Dr. Kinlaw's father uh, find the assurance of the saving work of God in his life. Really? So that's awesome. One day, Dr. Kinlaw's father came home, and Dennis Kinlaw was a 13-year-old little boy, and he told the family, pack up, we're going to Indian Springs Camp Meeting where Dr. Henry Clay Morrison is preaching. Oh, wow. And, and so those stories of faith that were so warm in Dr. Kinlaw's heart resonated with me because Dr. Kinlaw had this way of being able to share with people. You just got fired up. I don't know any other way. I, you know, I played athletics in school and things and the coach would try to fire the team up. But, but when it came to theology and, and holiness and wanting more of God, Dr. Kinlaw, he fired me up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think that's how I got onto the Morrison work. And, and it was such a sacred work because he's such a revered founder at Asbury Theological Seminary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was because of that story yeah. that you spent, I think you told me off the podcast, about a decade of work researching H.C. Morrison. Yes. A wow. solid decade of work researching wow. H.C. Morrison. That's amazing. Um, what? Why was, I mean, I guess that story, but then as you're picking a dissertation, why why was then the right time to write about Henry Clay? And I think it's also being turned into a book. Is that right, your dissertation? Yes, it's coming out this very uh, semester, and it will be ready uh, for the centennial of Asbury Theological Seminary. Excellent. Uh, not, not in a formal way. Nobody's asked me to do the de facto work, but just because the Francis Asbury Society is a kindred spirit institution with Asbury Theological Seminary. We try to find works that are pertinent and substantive for where our sister schools are. And uh, we, we're in the balcony cheering section for Asbury Theological Seminary and Asbury University. Yeah, for we sure. We tell our evangelists they get an extra star in the crown if when they're preaching, they can bring a student back to either side of the street at Asbury and Wilmer. <laughs> <laughs> what was one of the favorite anecdotes that you learned about Henry Clay Morrison as you researched and wrote the dissertation? Okay, I have I have a fabulous story. Okay. In 1966, Billy Graham was doing the World Congress on Evangelism. And he was in East Berlin, and the wall was still up. It wasn't down. And Graham, in his second sermon, was lamenting the fact that when somebody said the word evangelist in the United States of America, the icon, the mental image that came to a person's mind trended towards corruption because there had been scandals where well-known evangelists had had so backslidden in their Christian faith that they were almost seen as uh, womanizers in the sense that uh, 
the trajectory of their life was uh, was very difficult because they they uh, they chose sin rather than continuing. And then some evangelists that were taking pledges and buying at the time fifteen million dollar airplanes and fifteen million in that day was was like uh, sixty million today and five and six million dollar homes and Graham was just lamenting that 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 was the image and he said I'd like to take you to what the image was somewhere around the time of the Civil War in the United States of America and he told the story about an evangelist that was a circuit rider much like the statue on the corner of Lexington Avenue, where the seminary property begins. The circuit rider on a horse was riding on the road from Glasgow, Kentucky to Perryville, a major thoroughfare. And he was reading the Bible out loud. And so he had the Bible in front of him riding his horse, and it made quite an iconic picture. And as he rode by a farm outside of Glasgow on the road to Perryville, a curly-headed, uh, small-statured 13-year-old boy was hoeing corn in the cornfield. And Graham told the story that when the circuit rider rode by, this little boy later wrote in his journal, he fell down in the field and gave his heart to God. Wow. And Dr. Graham said, why can't we recover that as the image of what or who an evangelist is in our world? That when they ride by, they're so filled with the riches of the word of God indwelling them richly, that little boys can fall down and cry out and give their hearts to God. And that little 13-year-old boy was Henry Clay Morrison. Really? And Henry Clay Morrison then went on to be a two-time president of Asbury uh, College and a two-time board member. He went on a world evangelism tour. And at the turn of the 20th century, Dr. Henry Clay Morrison's periodical, the Pentecostal Herald, was the most widely circulated religious periodical in the United States of America. Wow, that's and, amazing. And so then you've already heard the story about how Dr. Morrison helped win Dr. Kinlaw's father. And then 13-year-old Dennis Kinlaw and 13-year-old Albert L. Luce Jr. came forward to an altar call to go all the way with God. And they knelt and prayed side by side. Later, Albert L. Luce Jr. would go on to be one of the three brothers that took the Bluebird Bus Company out of Fort Valley, Georgia, all the way to the top. They were the largest bus, bus company in the world. And Dr. Kinlaw went on to become the president uh, of Asbury College after having been Old Testament professor at Asbury Theological Seminary. 
And when I came upon the scene working with Dr. Paul Blair, who now also resides in Wilmore, Kentucky, and has has for most of his life, we uh, we had the privilege of being in the Francis Hasbury Society when Dr. Luce, that 13-year-old that prayed alongside of Dennis Kinlaw, that 13-year-old who founded the Francis Hasbury Society, Dr. Luce gave the donation that made the building of our international headquarters possible in Wilmore, Kentucky. And uh, I believe it's one of the great stories of Methodism in the 19th and 20th centuries, and it runs right through the heart of Asbury Theological Seminary. It sure does. I believe today that there's something that the world doesn't yet know, that there is a movement of conservative Christian orthodoxy steeped in Wesleyan holiness, proclaimed by evangelists, lived by missionaries, that has gone to the utter ends of the earth. And I think we should call it the Asbury movement because because Henry Clay Morrison believed it started through the itinerant ministry of a Francis Asbury who rode his horse. And it was one of those successive horse riders that enabled him to fall down and give his heart to God. Wow. And so there's a direct line to me today. I'm sitting in a chair, but I always envision myself sitting on the back of a horse because that has laid a tremendous claim on my life. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I didn't realize the connection to HD was so so directly connected to you and so personal. Yes, it was. And uh and so it was a it was just a joy to to try to bring Dr. Morrison who was in ways like a folk hero to to the academy. Mm-hmm. And and Drew University had enough imagination to allow me to bring him and for them to live out the richness of our Methodist faith through Morrison and study it as he went from the traditional high period of Protestantism in 19th century America into the early years of modernity in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I found it interesting that Henry Clay was born uh, just a little bit before the American Civil War. Mm-hmm. And you talked a little bit about in your dissertation, so I'm hoping you'll talk to this afternoon yeah. about how being born during that time period really affected him and then his belief systems as he grew up later. Yeah. Well, in my dissertation, I say that the question of the age for Henry Clay Morrison was, how can a nation stop the war in its own soul? Because uh, the church didn't get it done. A tremendous thesis was written by a professor named C.C. Goen, G-O-E-N, and it was called Broken Churches, Broken Nation. And he believed if Protestantism was at its all-time high in 19th century America, there should have been enough Christian impulse there to keep us from civil war. But instead, the churches broke over the issue of slavery. And how I, how I wish today we could have had the success in America that Wilberforce had in England because Wilberforce, as a Methodist, 
is credited with extirpating, extirpating the movement of slavery in, in the UK. And I wish, I wish our Methodists could have gotten that done at that age in America. We could have saved ourselves such sin and tragedy and grief and, and racism. But, but during that time, Dr. Morrison knew as a little boy that the soul of the nation was divided. And he wondered, even as a young uh, boy, he wondered, is there anything that could stop the war in one soul? And of course, as he grew up into being able to reason abstractly and think those thoughts, he turned to John Wesley's ideals on Christian perfection that we find all all of us find ourselves in an inner war so that along with the old King James tongue twister of the Apostle Paul, that which I would not, that do I do, that do I do, I would not, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And Morrison found that the deliverer was a savior who not only saved a person from the penalty of sin so they could go to heaven, He came in the third person of God to every believer's heart to work the goodwill and pleasure of holiness unto the Lord through our lives and lay such a claim on us that instead of being sinners saved by grace, we were saints sanctified by the third person of God to live lives unto holiness. And Morrison found that the third person of God could put to death the deeds of the flesh in his inner man that waged war against righteousness and help him be consecrated and holy. These are the words of Francis Asbury, wholly devoted to God. And that was a kind of Wesleyan faith that he loved to proclaim. And Wilmore, Kentucky was so impacted by that, that Morrison thought he wanted to He wanted to throw his life in with those folks from Wilmore to be able to educate Christians in that glorious reality that those who are free in Christ are free indeed by the magnanimous work of God's Spirit through his presence living in us. And do you know that's, I I would that I, I were a stellar example of that, but I want to say I'm a stellar pursuer of that kind of faith that saves to the uttermost. And, and I love to be in the stead of Morrison and Asbury himself in proclaiming that truth as part of what we call free salvation for all men on the cornerstone of our, our building, full salvation from all sin, meaning he not only saves us from sin's penalty, but he empowers us to be God's holy men, God's holy women by Mm -hmm. grace through faith. Yeah. So Henry Clay had, he had quite a life as an evangelist. Um, Well, and even just growing up, I remember reading that his father was killed in the civil war Yes, and that he struggled with fear of death. And, you know, that was very pervasive in his life. And then as he grew, um, you know, accepted Christ as you've told that story. And then 
um, married a couple of times because his wife's, his wife's, his wives passed away, you know? So, and he like had, had this traveling life. Can you tell me a little bit about his grown up life and then lead us to the point where he, I'll ask you another question, but then like lead us to the point about where he became president of Asbury Seminary. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, well, Dr. Morrison went on to grow uh, through his childhood and into a powerful Christian experience. And uh, uh, a pastor, an evangelist by the last name of Jones, uh, made an impression upon him. And he, and he felt like he wanted to be an evangelist. He wanted to be able to preach like Reverend Jones. Reverend Jones preached at Highbridge. Oh, yeah. And the Highbridge Union Church grew out of his revival. And Morrison felt like he was the most articulate orator he'd ever heard. And Morrison wanted to be like him. And of course, Morrison made quite a dramatic fashion. He always preached in a Prince Albert coat with tails. <laughs> you know, with tails. And he had that long flowing hair. He looked like a prophet. And, uh, and so he began to ride the circuit and preach wherever they let him. And the Methodists gave him one opportunity after another, after another. And Dr. Morrison grew as a Methodist preacher and a, and a great revivalist. He went to Vanderbilt to try to study more, but then felt like after a year's study at Vanderbilt, He'd rather be preaching in the field than studying in the academy, even though he did well at Vanderbilt. And I I can verify this because I went to Vanderbilt and studied his transcripts. He made many, many friends at Vanderbilt University. And by the first 10 years of the 20th century, the Christian Century periodical named Dr. Morrison as one of the 20 greatest uh, orators. Christian advocates of the 20th century. Later, when the Methodist Church was reunified because it had split the South, Southern Methodists broke with the Methodist Episcopal Church in the North, but it came back together. And the North said that the greatest acquisition of the Southern Methodist Church coming back in was the evangelist Henry Clay Morrison. (laughs) And so he was a beloved, treasured speaker in Methodism. And he he carried a torch for education Mm, mm -hmm. more than we've yet known. I could go back and I'm sure could write a monograph because I think I can prove now that Henry Clay Morrison raised more money in Methodist education because remember, the Methodists then owned Duke University, the University of Syracuse, Boston University, the University of Southern California, DePaul University. All of these universities were owned by the United Methodists. Well, not United Methodists. It was just Methodist Episcopal then. Mm-hmm. And they made Dr. Henry Clay Morrison a champion for education. And he led the the wealthiest accrual of charitable gifts for for education christian education in the world at the time so much wow. so 
that when he was on a boat trip back from preaching, FDR was on the boat and heard about Morrison's pursuits. And he asked if Henry Clay Morrison would come and share his story in the United States Senate chamber. Wow. Which he did, right. And uh, so uh, Morrison carried a torch for education. Yeah. And even after serving two terms as president of Asbury, his heart was to train up a, a sanctified leadership that would give themselves in ministry and know Wesley's doctrine of entire sanctification so that Christians could gain the power through the living presence of the third person of God to be well-equipped for ministry. Mm -hmm. And he felt like that was a different kind of minister that had that Christian experience than the ones who didn't. As a mm -hmm. matter of fact, Morrison likened ministers who didn't have that experience to Nadab and Abihu in the Pentateuch, who when they bypassed the labor of consecration, they went in and sought to go to the holy place unconsecrated, and they they lost their lives. And Dr. Henry Clay Morrison said, to be fully consecrated for ministry, one has to have that living witness and presence of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The the second work of grace, as it sometimes gets called in yes. the Methodist seminary circle, that was a really big deal for him as he, because I remember you talking about yes. split might be too, controversy I think is a better word that you're alluding to now with a group that did strongly believe in that. And then the group that didn't believe in the second work of grace and Morrison spent his life, you know, promoting promoting that and was that why he founded the seminary like how did the yes. seminary come to be yes he founded the seminary precisely for those reasons he felt like people in romans uh fashion that were filled with the spirit of god were also led by the spirit of god and he often heralded the news in Romans 8 that as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So he saw that leading of God's Spirit as essential to the salvation experience that he called full salvation. And it was quite a, a line of uh, distinction for him. He wanted to raise what he called a Spirit-filled ministry that could proclaim that truth. Now, just a little story about that. When Morrison was asked to preach in Texas, there was quite a war going on about this. And I believe this was Waco, Texas, although I'd have to go back and look because he had several of these controversial experiences in Texas. But the Methodist church down there said they weren't going to let Morrison be an approved speaker because he insisted on preaching on holiness. And they were tired of that. They felt the holiness people were causing a division in the denomination. And uh, so the mayor of the town so wanted Morrison to come. He said, well, I'll, you don't have to preach in the church. I'll put a, a tent up in the town, Dr. Morrison, and you come preach in the tent and the town will come. And so Morrison was invited and he went. Wow. They, they had a phenomenal revival. And Morrison was leaving there to take a train trip up to Baltimore 
to be a keynote speaker on the World Methodist Conference platform in Baltimore. But while he was traveling after that tent revival in Texas, all the way up to Baltimore, when he he his train arrived in Baltimore, the person that was to pick him up picked him up and gave him the news that the superintendent had put a grievance in in the Methodist church because he spoke in the tent and he was unauthorized by any superintendent and they they defrocked him of his credentials. Oh my. And so they informed Dr. Morrison that all right, if you don't have your credentials, we we can't let you preach on the Methodist conference. So one of the biggest opportunities of his life, he was uh, censured from speaking because because a pastor got mad he did a tent meeting in Texas. Well, I have to tell you the rest of the story because this is glorious. It's all in your heritage at Asbury Theological Seminary. Dr. Morrison followed the gentleman that was to pick him up from the train station to his home Bible study because he had a little Methodist church in Frederick, Maryland. And he said, I only have between 30 and 40 people, but Dr. Morrison, why don't you come and speak to our people? And so Dr. Morrison did. And at the end of his speaking at that little country meeting that night, a 13-year-old boy came and said he wanted to follow Christ in his entirety, and he dedicated himself. And that 13-year-old boy, now think of the name 13, or think think of the 13-year-old experience that we've been having, 13-year-old E. Stanley Jones. Oh, my. Set his heart for the ministry, went on to become one of the most decorated ministers, missionaries of the 20th century, knew Mahatma Gandhi, and uh, had such a godly influence on India and a prolific author. And now at Asbury Theological Seminary, you have the East Stanley Jones School of World Evangelism, World Mission and Evangelism. Morrison at 13 fell down when the circuit rider rode by. He got Kinlaw when he was 13 at a camp meeting. And because he got cut, for preaching a camp meeting in Texas, he went to a little church in Frederick, Maryland, and that's where he found E. Stanley Jones. My goodness. And Morrison said, don't, let, don't ever let your disappointment move you away from what God has his appointment for you, what God has in his appointment for you. Yeah. That really is incredible, the influence that Henry Clay has had not just, I mean, it really is on this institution, but then on some of the little, like, the extra people in the, you know, we wouldn't have right. East Stanley Jones, right? You know, so it's like not just the right. seminary, but the influence he had that spread really around right. the world. Now, when you think of the the ripple effect yeah. of that. Yeah. Yes. So and could Dr. you tell me? Morrison, Dr. Morrison won J.C. McFeeders, and of course, Dr. McFeeders all the way up into his 90s, frequented Asbury's campus as our second great president in the university. Oh, yes. Yes, for sure. Can you tell me about Dr. Morrison's early year, or like early years yeah. as president of the seminary? Yeah, sure. Um, 
Well, of course, you know, we're celebrating 100 years in 2023. So you go back 100, that takes you to 1923. Yep. Dr. Morrison uh, began to invest his life in pursuing young people for a holiness ministry in the Methodist Church. And at that time, you, you, you named something. Death was so prevalent. I think, I think when Morrison was born, the average life expectancy was between 38 years and 45 years of age for a Methodist preacher that was itinerating. Oh, my. And so death without modern medicine was very prevalent. And of course, he was orphaned and he was a widower several times. And Morrison himself struggled with, with health. And by the time he was trying to establish Asbury Seminary, he, he was struggling with health all, all of his days at Asbury Seminary until his death. He, he struggled with his health. But I can tell a great story in his evangel in, in his Vanderbilt years. Morrison had a godson who later grew up to be the Secretary of Education in the United States of America. Wow! And when Asbury when Asbury Seminary was founded, at its opening consecration service, the Secretary of Education for the United States of America was present to see his godfather, Dr. Morrison, begin this new venture and put his blessing upon it. That's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. We, we've hinted at it at several different ways, and I know we're almost out of time, so I just have a couple more questions for you. Um, what legacy do you see Dr. Morrison leaving for us today? I think Dr. Morrison, in the, in the words of A.W. Tozer, is an icon for people following him in the pursuit of God, to pursue a life wholly consecrated to God by the living presence of God, the third person, the Spirit of God, who is named Holy Spirit in our lives, is a privilege of salvation, the saving work in the grace of God that can lay a tremendous claim for ministry. And Morrison believed that the Holy Spirit could deliver a human being from self-interest so that when self was dealt with and self-interest wasn't reigning supreme, but the pursuit of God was reigning supreme, then God had a believer's intent, attention so that that believer could then be free to walk with God for the redemption of the world. And I believe that's a legacy of faith that Dr. Morrison has left for all of us in the Asbury world. Mm -hmm, for sure. We have one question that we ask everybody, but before I do that, is there anything else you'd like to say that we haven't already talked about? I don't think so. It's okay. a terrible thing to have to interview an intellectual historian that has to tell the whole story. I, I ask your forgiveness and for all of our <laughs> listeners, I'm sorry. 
<laughs> no, this has been great. I was hoping for a snapshot of Henry Clay Morrison's life. And I wish we could talk about it more because he did so many things. And I feel like we've just barely touched on it. So I really appreciate the stories that you shared and the time that you've taken. Yeah. Um, so the one question that we ask everybody, because the show is called the Thrive with Asbury Seminary Podcast, what is one question or one practice that is helping you thrive in your life right now? That I learned at Asbury Theological Seminary? It doesn't have to be that you learned at Asbury. Just, it can be something that you're doing now that you picked up along the way. It can be from Asbury. It can be just something that's helping you thrive. Well, something that's helping me thrive right now almost corresponds to the economic climate in the United States of America. And there's such a downturn in the economy. So many pensions have lost so much money for people retiring in ministry. That's close to my heart right now because uh, uh, at age 72, they're going to make me retire as an ordained United Methodist. But what makes me thrive is when we invest right in the times of difficulty, the Lord enables those investments, like in the parable of the talents, to help us thrive as kingdom people. And I don't see the challenge in what some have called the cultural convulsions from 2020 to, to 2022. That, that, that upheaval convulsions, if you will, cultural convulsions. I don't see those as a disadvantage for people in the Christian faith. I see it as an opportunity in the downturn to so invest in trusting the captain of our salvation to leave us, lead us through the difficult moment that there can be a song of victory as we go. And and just like that circuit rider who rode past Dr. Morrison reading the scriptures, I think the people of God with the word of God and the joyous song of God on our hearts is something that uh, is very gracious to the ears of people who've been saturated with bad news at this time. And I'm finding that at Ohio Christian University. Students just make a way for me to come and to share. And I listen to their stories of faith. And uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful time to thrive today as we uh, look to be wholly devoted to him. Yeah, for sure. Well, Dr. Smith, thank you so much for taking the time to share today. It has been a pleasure to learn more about you and to learn more about the seminary's founder, Dr. Morrison. Well, thank you, Heidi. And we celebrate 100 years. And I, I, I want to close by saying I celebrate the tremendous godly leadership that Dr. Tim Tennant and Julie Tennant are giving to our institution because we see in them the thriving currents that were carried by Dr. Morrison. And we are able to say in our spirits about Asbury, the Lord hath done great things whereof we're glad. Mm, for sure, for sure. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Dr. Ron Smith, president of the Francis Asbury Society. What a great way to kick off our centennial celebrations, to have a conversation with Dr. Smith and learn more about our founder, Henry Clay Morrison, and the legacy that he has left for those in the seminary community. 
If you see your no Dr. Smith, be sure to tell him thank you ever so much for being part of today's conversation and for the work that he is doing in the world. As always, you can follow Asbury Seminary in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at, at Asbury Seminary. Until next time, I hope you'll go do something that helps you thrive.